everybody. Thank you so much for having me here today with you. <laughs> I actually, I, I, I didn't mean to do that. I've always uh, wanted to be in Phoenix. I've always, always wanted to visit Phoenix. Uh, I like desert towns. It's really pretty here. It's actually been more beautiful than I expected. Um, what makes life in Phoenix possible? Air conditioning, that's right. With, without, without air conditioning, it, it wouldn't work. And, and uh, the same thing in the Middle East is, is faith. And without a little bit of faith and good things and uh, that things are going to work out, uh, that, that God's got kind of our back, not just our back, but the Middle East back in general, uh, if, you didn't, if you don't have that, it's not going to work out at all. And that's what Ben Gurion said. He said that if you don't have faith, you're not a realist uh, in the Middle East. So we'll, we're going to talk about things today that are not faith-based, I think, but we got to have a little bit of faith that things are going to that we have some, there's positive lights at the end of the tunnel. Uh, thank you very much, Beit Tefillah, Rabbi Elush, it's nice to meet you. And thank you very much, uh, Rabbi Yanklowitz, Rabbi Shmuley, Rav Shmuley. And people said to me, you're speaking at Rav Shmuley's? Is that right? I mean, Rav Shmuley, is, he's not exactly politically aligned with you. And uh, I said, you know, I have spoken at uh, Rav Shmuley's before, and we, we have a great time because Rav Shmuley is a, a real intellectual who's, who's, who's open-minded, uh, and that's exactly what I'm about also. You don't have to agree. And in fact, in fa before I speak at any, any uh, uh, congregation, any place, I speak to with a lot of people on, the, uh, on a different political side than me, on the left, and I of often say to them, um, you don't have to agree with me at all. I'm not going to preach at you, teach at you, uh, convince you of anything. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to get you to agree with me at all. But you've heard a lot about the settlers, right? You heard about the settlers. They're on TV all the time. They're bad, they're burly, gun-toting and all that. And here's your chance to actually meet a settler and hear our narrative. That's, that's a good opportunity for you. And, and you could actually get a chance to, to see it for yourself and discuss it for yourself. So I don't know what your opinions are. This is a big room, a lot of different people. Uh, but I don't, I don't take anything for granted. But the bottom line is, is that t tonight I'm going to try to share with you the way I see the world. And maybe I'm representative of some people in, my, in our communities. Um, and we'll try to understand how we see the, the way forward. Um, so far? Yeah? You with me? Okay, good. Okay. Uh, the topic today really is alternative to the two-state solution. But who needs an alternative to the two-state solution? Maybe the two-state solution is the only way to move forward. That's what they tell us all the time. It's the only way to move forward, right? By the way, non-Jews in this room... No? Really? Israelis? Former Israelis? Yeah? Okay, great. I just want to know what's going on. Uh, a lot of times we, uh, we get told that it's the only way forward. That's the only way forward. And yet, amazingly, this only way forward has been tried and tested so many times and has failed every single time. People right now in the world, the world media wants to say that Israel is moving towards a fascistic right. right? We've heard this. It's like fascism taking over Israel. Israel's fanatically going right-wing and all this kind of stuff. The truth is, is that Israel is moving towards a more nationalistic approach right now. A more nationalistic approach, and that is because uh, that might be termed more right-wing. And the reason that Israel is moving more right-wing is not because people like me have been so successful in educating everybody to the religious uh, uh, imperative of holding on to the land of Israel. No, we have not been that successful. Okay, we have not been that successful. What has been successful is the recurring failure of efforts for land giveaway. That has been successful to, be, to prove to the average 
traditional, secular, regular Israeli that the idea of land for peace, giving away chunks of the land to an, a, another sovereign is not the way to move forward. That has been a proven failure and in my mind also a certain kind of success. Let's go back a step. Zionism is the national liberation movement of the Jewish people. We come back to the land of Israel. We are the people who are ethnically cleansed from our land 2,000 years ago. We come back. We're reestablishing Jewish presence uh, in, in the Holy Land, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it succeeds. It succeeds very much. Um, surprisingly succeeds. And Israel, uh, when is Israel really born? Is Israel really born in the 1947-48 partition plan? No, Israel was born way before that. Really, it starts really happening. Really, modern-day Israel can be traced back to the Spanish Inquisition. 1492, Jews are kicked out of Spain. Imagine if Jews were kicked out from, from America. That's what the Spanish Inquisition was like. Jewry, diaspora Jewry was destroyed in Spain, and it started moving on an axis through southern Europe and Europe, moving eastward and North Africa. And in various waves, the Jewish people come back to the land of Israel. In my, the city that I work for, Hebron, in the 1550s is when Jewish, Spanish Jews come back to Hebron. It takes them 60 years to kind of make it. And they reestablish Jewish community there, including building the great Avram Avinu Synagogue in Hebron. And that's really the beginning of Zionism. Remember the Arizal? Remember the famous Kabbalist in, in, in Sfat? You've heard of him? The Ari. The of Isaac Luria, very famous Kabbalist, the Kabbalist of our, you know, of our era. And he is living in, in, in Tzfat, what, what year? Around 1550. Around 1550, and at the very same time, the, the Jewish codex of law is written, the Mechaber uh, uh, the, of the Shulchan Aruch, Rav Yosef Karo, is, is living in Tzfat also. And they're really pinging out a new message. Israel's the new center. Come to Israel. And after that, the Baal Shem Tov and the Gra and the Orachayim HaKadosh are going to... Okay, they're going to... That's right. They're going to bring Jewish people to the land of Israel. And that's, that's absolutely correct. They're going to bring people to the land of Israel. And, and we're all going to start to influx. Then later, secular Zionism is going to come up with its version. It's going to bring people from, from Russia. In the 1880s already. 1880s, the Russian secular Jews are moving. The Bilu is 1882, I think. Huh? Schrumpeldor, 1897 is already the first Zionist Congress. So 1948 is already way after Isra the Israeli impulse has been established. And in 1947, uh, no, one, one, step for, one step back, the Turks are kicked out by the British, and the British are given a mandate to, to do what? To establish a Jewish state, right? That's not really true. They're also given a, a mandate to establish Iraq and later Jordan. And, and France is going to get Syria and Lebanon. So at that time, there was going to be four Arab states established alongside a little Jewish state. Remember that. Four Arab states were going to be born at the same time that a Jewish state was going to be born. But the British, is there any British people in the room? Uh, that's good, because I'll tell you the truth. The British, in my mind, have a very special place in hell. And I'll tell you why. Because Nazis, Nazis, huh? I'm, just, I'm just, as we say in, in British, I'm taking the piss, okay? I'm just uh, making a joke here. And, and the reason is, is that the, the, the Nazis, you know they're Nazis. They hate Jews. Okay. And they do what they do. 
But the British were given an opportunity to build the Jewish state, which they took upon themselves with, 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 with Zionistic fervor. They were calling it restorationism at the time. But they turned their back on the Jews, and they basically empower elements that want to destroy the Jews, including evil Nazis like Hajjamin al-Husseini. Hajjamin al-Husseini was a Nazi. Not every Arab at that time thought like Hajjamin al-Husseini. There were many non-jihadistic voices. One such non-jihadistic voice was Emir Faisal, who met Chaim Weizmann at the 1919 peace conference. We have the letters. Look it up on Wikipedia. Please look it up on Wikipedia. The letters exchanged between Chaim Weizmann and Amir Faisal. They're beautiful. They're beautiful letters. And what they say is, it's so like the old Arab way, this honor, this, 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 like honor, uh, this honor-bound Bedouin from the desert speaking, and he says, my brother, we will recognize you, Jews, as building a Jewish state, and we'll help you if you help us. And we will rise up together, Semitic peoples in this one land, in this one area. How beautiful. What a beautiful narrative. Four Arab countries, one Jewish country, we will rise up together. We're cousins. We're genetic cousins. We're linguistic cousins. We're even religious cousins. We can have a narrative that we understand each other. We're not foreigners. We're, we Jewish people, we're not just white people coming from the Holocaust from Europe. We're actually Semitic people. We're coming from Baghdad. We're coming from Yemen. But people like Hajjamin al-Husseini, who were empowered by the British, have a completely different narrative. Their narrative is a hateful narrative. It seizes on some classic jihadistic uh, uh, tendencies within the Islamic world, and he basically is going to stir that up. Jews are taking over. Jews are pernicious. Jews want to take over the Temple Mount. Jews are bad, bad, bad. We have to fight with Jews. We have to kill Jews. Let's learn from the Nazis uh, who were uh, starting to, to take control, starting. In any case, a completely different atmosphere is created in the Middle East. In 1947, by the time it rolls around, the United Nations is going to pull away from the League of Nations' promises. The League of Nations said, we recognize the Jewish people's right, not give. Recognize our natural rights, not give. Nobody was going to give us rights. They were going to recognize our rights. But the British are going to start forgetting those promises, and we're going to have to bully them out of the country. We terrorize the British to get out. Just like we fought with the Romans and the Greeks, just like we fought the Babylonians and lost, just like we fought with all kinds of forces. That's right, we, we fight and we win, and we fight and we lose, but we fight. And we, we beat the British. We kicked them out of there. We knew, we knew their weak points, and we got them out of there, and we declared a state. Now, by that point, the British were pushing the new United Nations to come up with this new theory. Divide the tiny land that was supposed to be Israel's into two states. We said, we the Jewish people said, okay. We said, okay. But it was begrudging. It wasn't really that we really thought it was the right and just idea. We just said, okay, that's the UN today. We'll take it and we'll get the rest in war. That was what Ben Gurion, he thought. Let's agree to it. The other parties didn't agree to it anyway. And the truth of the matter is, is that the UN creation of Israel is a false narrative. The UN did not create Israel. Their ideas were probably illegal in the first place. We only agreed to it because our handle's behind their back. In any case, the Arabs didn't agree to it. It has zero teeth, zero part of the story. In the meantime, Israel, 1948, Israel, did Israel win or lose the 1948 war? That's right, that one. No true questions here, folks. I'm, I'm making it easy for you. That's an easy one. All right, we win the 1948 independence war, but did we really win it fully? Yes and no. We got our state, thank God. But we also lost what people then understood 
and what people like myself still understand today is the ancestral homeland of the Jewish people and what, by the way, international law saw as Jewish, not by granting, but by recognizing that everything minimally west of the Jordan River, minimally west of the Jordan River, was to be a state of Israel. We lost Hebron. Hebron is where our mamas and papas are buried. We lost Kevrachel in, in Beit Lechem. We lost the Kotel and the Temple Mount. By the way, a uh, 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 little, uh, uh, I want to just clear up a misnomer. The Kotel is not the holiest place to the Jewish people. Get this straight, folks. It never was. It was basically the Mamilla shopping plaza of 2,000 years ago. Okay? That's what it was. It was the area that you shopped in and hung out in before you went up to the holiest place, which was the Temple Mount. And we lost Beit El, Shiloh, Shechem. Beit El is the place where Jacob had his dream of the ladder, according to tradition. Shechem, where, where the tomb of Joseph is. We lost these places. To who? To, 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 to the Palestinians? No. To a Jordanian? Did I ever tell you about how fake Jordan is in terms of a country? I don't have time to explain it. But it's the fakest country ever, okay? I don't, I'm not even going to get into it. It's just a long and, and totally created story, which will one day soon fall apart as the rest of the fake countries that were created by Europe. Okay? This country, which was British-armed, British-led, British-trained, took, took over these ancestral places for 19 years under what I would call an occupation. And that occupation was not recognized by the international community, except for... Two countries, England and, and Pakistan. Some people also say Iraq, okay? So, they, so they, they, the, those three countries recognize them. Obviously, they were all British protectorates of different kinds. In any case, 1967 rolls around. In, my friends, it's a simple question. In 1967, was it a... In 1967, remember the Six-Day War? I could see some people in this room may remember it. I don't know. I'm not saying anything, but maybe some people remember that war. Was that... And here's the big question. Was it liberation or occupation? Liberation or occupation? If, 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 Israel, if Israel was born in 1948 by the UN partition plan, one second, if Israel was born in... Let's wait a little bit, okay? We'll, 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 okay, if, if, if Israel was born in 19... Born and conceived of in 1947-48 because we were just a post-Holocaust white people that were not from the area, and it was born through the original uh, idea of a two-state solution, i.e. the partition plan, then therefore, sir, and that's what I see in all the films right now that are coming out, all the films against Israel now are basically saying that we were born in 1948, and then we took over land that was not supposed to be ours, so therefore, uh, you know, therefore we are obviously in occupation. Or was it what we understood in 1967, what many, many Israeli intellectuals, not all certainly, but Israeli intellectuals understood, certainly spiritual leaders, but I'm talking about even on the, on the secular left, uh, understood that this was our ancestral homeland. We have come back. And of course, it also made strategic and defensive sense. But at the time, at the time, the problem was is that we stuttered. We stuttered. We stuttered about it, and we... We didn't stutter about Jerusalem. We said, Jerusalem, you know, we remembered. L'shana ba Yerushalayim. L'shana hazot Yerushalayim. Boom. We got it. We annexed it. But the rest of Judea and Samaria, we stuttered. Maybe we could give it back. Maybe we shouldn't annex. There's a lot of Arabs there. And we stuttered. And the problem with stuttering is that it sends an ambivalent signal. 
It was an ambivalent signal. It doesn't just say it was an ambivalent signal. On the one hand, we knew it was ancestral homeland. On the other hand, we didn't want all the Arabs there. And we also maybe thought that we would get peace at the time that was in vogue, that we would get peace through giving back. And that's eventually what happened with the Sinai, for example. And 1967. And we didn't annex. And then there were some Jews who felt, wait a minute, this is our ancestral homeland, and started kind of pushing into Judea and Samaria to try to settle it. And with government support and government uh, encouragement, but also discouragement. It was always a game. It wasn't like a full-on, here you go. It was always a game. It was always a stutter step, a dance. And it is exactly that way to this very day. In Hebron today, we have 85 Jewish families guarded by, I'm not going to tell you the real number, but let's say 1,000 soldiers. Okay? 1,000 soldiers, let's say, plus minus costing millions of shekel every month, easily. So obviously, and I tell this to reporters all the time, obviously our state wants Hebron. And P.S., we have about, five, in good years, we have about five, 600,000 visitors a year to Ma'at HaMachpelah. It's, it's, it's one of Israel's top uh, tourism destinations. Not now, not under uh, the current knife jihad, which uh, tourism has dropped. So the state of Israel obviously wants Hebron because it's willing to spend money, millions on it. But not really. It's not letting us grow. We buy land from Arabs. It doesn't let us settle them. Why? Because we have a disease called ambivalence. Ambivalence. This is the a disease of our time, ladies and gentlemen. And even in this room right now, many of us feel ambivalent. On the one hand, it is our ancestral homeland. But on the other hand, does it make sense to live there? What about all these Arabs? How about our Jewish and democratic state? How are we going to annex and yet, and yet not give people rights? And if we give them rights, they'll destroy us from within. We, we're, we got these questions. And these questions cause us to stutter step. And the stutter step causes us to have very bad PR. Because, because it doesn't make sense. I don't agree with the Europeans about anything. Okay? Except for the following. The one thing I agree with the Europeans is when they say... The Europeans say you can't have a two-state solution and a settlement policy at the same time. That's what they say. And I think they're right. It's a tiny swath of land. You really can't have another country there and a, 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 and a settlement policy. But we tap dance around it. We tap dance around the issue. And we do this. First thing we do is we blame them. We'd love to give you the land. But you're bad. And because you're bad, I can't do it. Therefore, I have to have more of these people having babies here, so I have to give them another apartment. Oh, you killed a Jew. I'm putting up another apartment building. That's your punishment. So the first answer is, um, um, uh, you're the bad guy. But I'm staying here, but I'd love to give away the land. Or when they ask us, they tell us, this happens on campus all the time. You, they, you, they say to you, you stole our land. And you say, yeah, but we made the cell phone. Or they say, you stole our land. Yeah, but we have gay rights. <laughs> you stole our land. But we go to Haiti and help poor people, people that are like broken. We send, you know, we're really nice. But what's the answer? Did you or did you not steal the land? When you say you want a two-state solution, that sounds very nice because, you know, when, you, when you're living in America, compromise sounds like a beautiful thing, Right? I have something, you have something, we both have some part of the truth, we come to some kind of middle conclusion. That's not what it sounds like in the Middle East. When you're willing to say in the Middle East, sure, I'm willing to talk about Jerusalem and dividing Jerusalem. Here's what they think. This guy is totally spineless. 
I cannot even believe what I heard. Did you hear this guy just now? He just said, take my wife, do whatever you want, just don't hurt me. They don't hear it as compromise. They, I don't mean them, the Arabs, I mean us Middle Easterners. Okay, that just sounds ridiculous. And so we've created a narrative that is complex, ununderstandable. Which one is it? Two-state solution? Or do we want the settlements? Or when we justify it, why, why we're there? We give all these random answers that have nothing to do with the issues. Ask a Jewish kid on campus right now. Let's go to Arizona, you, or whatever you have here. What's the, what's the college here? Hey, what's it called? Arizona State. Arizona State. Let's go to Arizona State and ask a Jewish kid. What's the answer? Did we steal their land or not? Uh, probably yes. Right, probably yes. Or, or here's, remember the old one? The old one used to be, um, what, wait, what was, the, was the funniest thing? What would they used to say? Um, it's not occupied, it's what? Disputed, that's right. It's disputed. We say, they say, you're occupying our land. No, it's only disputed. That is not sexy, okay? That is just not a sexy answer. Uh, especially since today, we like, we, no matter how secular we are, we train our kids to act, act like Talmudists. Every answer is like a Talmudic answer. Well, according to this, blah, blah, blah. And, and well, it's actually this. They're speaking in passion. And we're speaking in, you know, in, in citations of, of international law. And so we have a policy right now which doesn't make sense. Furthermore, the average is, I don't know, if, did we touch on this? The average Israeli no longer believes that two-state is possible. It's been tested. We said this, right? No, okay. It's been tested. It got tested now at least four times. The Sinai was like the holy grail of the land giveaway policy. The Sinai, you see, Shai, it worked. You see, you don't know what you're talking about. This was 10, 15 years ago. I used to be like, you'll see. You'll see. I was speaking like an old prophet. You'll see what's going to happen in Sinai. And I was right, because it's obvious to me. Today, it is, has an offshoot of, of, uh, uh, of ISIS, the, the Sinai province. I like the official names. Very, very serious. Uh, the, uh, Sinai, uh, the ISIS Sinai province. Okay? All right. But South Lebanon, we walked out of South Lebanon in the middle of the night, and now all that strip that we were in has how many? At least 200 serious rockets trained against us. We walked out of Gaza. Huh? Huh? 200,000. What did I say? 200,000 very serious rockets. And I could tell you, being involved in a unit which is facing Hezbollah, we are very much getting ready for a serious battle with them. Uh, and, and one which, 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 on the face of it, I never want to discount Israel's technology or, or the, the work of, of God, but on the face of it, 200,000 rockets. Uh, by the way, the, the tactic of war that we have against them is uh, basically scorched earth. That's the only thing we can do right now. The way that they've developed it, the only way we can deal with South Lebanon's rockets right now is just to, just to carpet bomb the sucker. Uh, because... because the. I just gave you the, the secrets. Please don't tell anybody, okay? <laughs> um, South Lebanon, 200,000 rockets. Uh, Judea and Samaria. We gave away parts of Judea and Samaria under Oslo. And then after a long terror war in which thousands of Israelis died, we had to go back in under Chomat Magen, Defensive Shield. That's Arik Sharon. Remember, Park Hotel, Pesach night, uh, dozens dead. We finally go into to Judea and Samaria, and what do we do? We basically dismantle the Palestinian Authority's ownership of these places and put the, the army back around the, the, uh, these cities. 
like Shechem. Okay, so, so, so Oslo didn't work. And of course, the final, the real nail in the coffin was Gaza. Now, I was in Gaza for a month and a half before the evacuation. Don't let me tell you about the many Arabs that came to us and said, don't do this. Don't destroy our lives. Don't give this land to the worst elements. You don't understand who these people are. Arabs, farmers would come up to me. I'd never met them before in my life. Don't do this. But we knew better. You know, people like myself were saying, in a year from now, it's going to be a terrorist state. And I was wrong, because it took six months. <laughs> and, and it became now, we have lost hundreds of Israeli soldiers in three wars in six years. It didn't work out well. It didn't work out well. And that one, the last war, turned Israelis' minds. You can give me an argument saying, but it wasn't a negotiated, we didn't, uh, we, didn't discuss, we didn't do this, we didn't do that. I'll tell you how the average Israeli sees it. We gave that land away. We wanted to create the first Palestinian state in our land, and it was immediately taken over by Hamas, and three wars have ensued. The average Israeli has not become totally enamored with religious Zionism. They have simply come to the conclusion that it doesn't make sense. Two-state solution does not make sense. But we're still dancing around it. We're still BSing around it. We're still getting the t Just this week, our, our beloved prime minister, uh, who I have tremendous respect for, and, and, and really I think he's going to be remembered as a great prime minister, especially for the economic revolution in Israel. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to say that right now because uh, at, I was one, one time I was in Holland, you know, and um, one time I was in Holland, and I, and I was in a, in a cab, and I said, how do you guys like your, uh, your government here? He's like, oh, yeah, good, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> I hadn't heard anybody say a good thing about a government in years. And it's important that the Torah tells us not to curse our leaders. So we shouldn't curse our leaders, and I know many speakers would get up here and make fun of our prime minister. I think our prime minister is a great man in a lot of ways. When it comes to this, I don't think, and I have a right to still be a democratic person and, and to talk about the, 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 the lack of, of vision and courage in this one, and that is I think our prime minister is still tap dancing around these issues. He's constantly saying, come on, Abbas, come on down, negotiate with me. Oh, see, he's a jerk. See, well, we know he's a jerk. He got his PhD in anti-Semitic studies in, 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 in Holocaust denial, he, we know that he was involved in the financing of the Munich massacre. He's a really bad person. I mean, a really, really, really bad person. We know that. And so tap dancing around him and blaming him, it's not going to go anywhere. And, and again, we're now hearing about the French initiative. Ah, you on. Um, and we're hearing now about you know, new This is all, I'm telling you folks, you are hearing now from a person who's talking about the cutting edge. That stuff, two-state solution, is not the cutting edge. It's not. Now, what was the title of the talk? We were talking about alternatives to two-state solution. Are you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Leave all that behind. Let's talk about possible alternatives. Now, before we go to possible alternatives to two-state, which I hope I explain why is a bad idea, which was, I really think it was born in sin. It was never going to be a good idea. And who knows how much money was made by corrupt people off of this thing. It was not a good thing. Uh, and this did not lead to better life for us. But by the way, let's have a liberal moment here. It didn't lead to a better life for the Palestinians either. These people are under great oppression. 
My next door neighbors live, I live in South Korea, they live in North Korea. It's really like that, but like the only difference is it's like a house apart. I, like I live in places where like across the street, there's North Korea. The, the people are being brainwashed a lot of times by our own money being funded into, like in Jerusalem, in East Jeru Eastern Jerusalem, money that we're sending them, Israel, uh, uh, um, is being used in the worst possible ways. Um, Two-state solution is done. Let's go forward with for, for one-state solution. Whatever I'm going to tell you is going to somewhere stink a little bit. Okay? It's not going to be like, oh, my God, Ishai, how did you come up with such an incredible solution and no, you know, nobody saw it and it's so perfect? No, it's not going to be like that. There's going to be a place where it really stinks somewhere. It's got to stink a little bit because there's no perfect solutions to a very imperfect problem. So let's be real. Let's get real, okay? So get ready for it to stink somewhere and to bend a little bit. First thing is that how many Jews live in Judea and Samaria? 350,000? Now add, please, the 200,000 of Eastern Jerusalem because that's how the international world sees it anyway. We have 550,000. Add a few more here and there because the numbers are a little this way. That way, let's say 600,000, okay? That's really the, probably the right number. Probably in Jerusalem, it's 220,000. Altogether, let's say 600,000. 600, that's a lot of people. Okay, so you're not going to get rid of them. The, the Gush Katif thing was also a failure, of logistical failure of trying to move 8,500 people. And it still has not been resolved. You're not going to move 600,000 people. It's just not going to work out. And you're not going to put walls and make the country, the land, so ugly with a lot of these gross walls that we've put up. So how do we move forward? I'm going to give you now what I see on the ground as options. Various options. How many Palestinians live in... Two and a half million live in Judea and Samaria. Actual numbers. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about birth rate, or what we call demographobia. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll talk about demography in a few minutes. First, let's talk, and I'm going to give you time for questions. Wait, what, what, what time do we have until? Ooh, here we go. I'm going to speak for 15 more minutes. Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Shmuel, please stop me at 8 so we can get, get to, to people's questions, all right? I'm going to go through five different options very quickly. Five or six very uh, options, alternatives to two-state. First thing, all of my options are going to include the annexation of Judea and Samaria or the West Bank. Why? Because it's the natural thing to do. We have people there. It's our ancestral homeland. International law actually recognizes it, no matter what CNN tells you. And, and we want it. You know, I like Putin. You know, around here, people don't like Putin. What I like about Putin is like he's like Crimea. It's our land. Our people, our history, take it. Okay? <laughs> I like that, you know? It's, it's like a kind of, he's got clarity, you know, he takes off his shirt and he's got this clarity and this boldness, he wrestles a bear, you're like, yes! Okay? You know, he's got, he's got a certain clarity about him. I wish we had, at least you know what he wants about Crimea, right? You, you get the feeling. Any case, um, uh, right? Listen, right, my, I, all right, all right, all right. My, I, you know, let's let's keep it lighthearted. Uh, I think that I think my, my point is is that clarity has a certain clarity to it, and and uh, let's keep going. Alternatives to the two-state solution are going to, in my mind, include the annexation of Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. That's the natural thing to do. We have done everything but annex. We we we're engaged. We've bought the dress. The, the, wedding is, uh, the wedding is planned, the photographer's in, the guests are sitting down. We've done everything but 
get married in Judea and Samaria. Okay? We're just, we're just not pulling the trigger. This, these plans are going to involve pulling the trigger and moving uh, sovereignty over Judea and Samaria. What we call in Hebrew, ribonut, sovereignty. It, the word annexation is not even so correct. It's more correct to say sovereignty, Jewish sovereignty in Judea and Samaria. How do we do it? One option was proffered by Benny alone and Arya Eldad. Do you remember that option? That was called Jordan is Palestine. Jordan, a Palestinian state, really, 80% Palestinian. A fake Hashemite king has nothing to do with that area anyway. And, uh, and he's probably on his way out soon. Uh, in any case, uh, what do we do? We empower Palestinians to, ha to have a Palestinian state in Jordan. And the ones that are living in Judea and Samaria, in the West Bank, they will get, they will be like expats. They will vote in Amman. They will get a passport and a citizenship of Amman. But live in Judea and Samaria with our civil rights, but their self-determination rights in Jordan, a Palestinian state. Okay? Sounds kind of clean. There's a clean, there's a, there's a, there's a sensical side to it. You have a Palestinian state, a de facto Palestinian state. By the way, the, the, the two-state solution people, how many Palestinian states do they really want? Out of the landmass that was originally going to be Israel, there's Jordan, which became a Palestinian state. The West Bank, they want it to be a Palestinian state. Gaza, a Palestinian state. And of course, the right of return to Israel, making it four Palestinian states and one Jewish homeland. That's just, that is just brilliant, really. And we're the ones who are like not okay. Anyway, um, uh, so the first alternative is Jordan is Palestine. Beseder? What's the problem with that solution? There's a different sovereign to deal with that where it's not under our control. Okay? There's a, a Jordan, they don't, they, I've, oh, by the way, of course, Arab countries, if you want to see some real, not the, not the fake apartheid that they talk about in Israel, where, where, where you know, Israeli Arabs are judges and, 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 and Knesset members and, and doctors. Uh, when my wife needed a, a breast exam, it was an Arab doctor. I don't think that's apartheid, right? And this settler didn't say boo, so I don't think that's apartheid. But if you want to see some good old apartheid, then you could go to Syria and Lebanon and Jordan and see how, how Palestinians are actually treated in a land that's, that's much closer to be a Palestinian state than, 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 uh, than Israel should be. In any case, um, that's the, the problem with the Jordan is Palestine is that we're not the sovereign there. Option number two is what Naftali Bennett is offering now. He calls it the consolidation plan or the, I forget, he's got some funny name for it. But the bottom line of that plan is what? Uh, that we will annex Area C. Area C is just a place where the Jews live in mostly in Judea and Samaria and the West Bank, okay? And the other areas we simply will not deal with. We will annex what we got and put all of the Israelis, the Jews, i.e., living in Judea and Samaria under Israeli sovereignty. And the other parts will be a kind of no man's land. If there's a Palestine there, okay, whatever it is. But we will not uh, uh, decide that those issues. We will annex Judea and Samaria. We will take in 40,000 Arabs that live there and give them full citizenship. And, and, and that's just, he calls it basically the next step of Oslo. Take Area C and make it Israeli. Okay? And his, his point is, we have, we have these, all these Jews. We've got to give them normal, decent rights under Israel. We've got 40,000 Arabs, very few in this area. So we solved the problem. We gave the Jews you know, full, full state rights. It's no longer going to be a military thing. And, and we take in a minimal amount of Arabs, we can live with that, all right? That's option number two. Option number three, which people like Moshe Faglin and that guy that writes in the Post all the time, what's his name, Mark, Mark Sherman, Dr. Mark Sherman is writing about all the time. He says, 
Um, he says, Martin Sherman. Martin Sherman, Dr. Martin Sherman. He writes all the time, and, and, and they're sure this is the right solution. And they say, look, and, and, and they say, Israelis, Jewish Israelis, have an, it's been shown poll after poll that Israelis believe in buying out the Arabs. Give them, give them, uh, it's like nefesh benefesh in reverse. Give them, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what's the word? Not Reparations is not the right word. Uh, compensation. Pinoy pizzui, they call it in Israel. Compensate them to go to, give them a little shove, but also money along the way. Take $200,000 per household, and they've done the math on it, and it's like a trillion dollars, but they, can, they think we can handle it. And, is, and Israeli polls do show the Israelis are in favor of helping Arabs move out. And in some cases, by the way, I think that makes a lot of sense. In certain situations, for example, in Hebron, we have one street, one tiny little street, which is closed to Arabs. The Arab stores are closed. Now, the world makes a big deal out of this as though we're totally crushing Hebron, which is a big fat lie. There's 200,000 Arabs there. It's the richest Arab city. They have full, full movement, freedom of movement. They have 17,000 factories there, uh, three hospitals, four malls, forget, three universities as well. Forget it. They have an amazing life. But one tiny street is closed off. But I say, if the army has already closed them off, let's pay money to the Arab store owners, even forcibly. Say, here's the money. We're, we're taking over by eminent domain this property because we need it for Jews. Here's money, but now we own this, and we've compensated you as well. So in some cases, I think that's good. But, you know, it's not going to be easy to give a trillion dollars to Arabs, and they won't even necessarily accept it. It's, it's a tough... They say it's humane, but it's, it has its own problems. So that's option number three. Option number four, I only speak about really because of logic, for a logical point of view. A simple logical point of view is what people used to do in the, uh, in, in the end of World War I, which is exchange of populations. You kicked us out of your lands, we push you to your lands, and together we'll have a little bit of a separation. That's called transfer. It's considered completely outside of the political discourse today, but it used to happen. Greece and Turkey uh, exchange populations. India and Pakistan exchange populations. It used to be okay to talk about that, because it was a clean option. You go to your room, you go to your room. Okay. Today, it's not popular to say that, but I like to say it for the point of, of logic. And the last option that I want to discuss is what I think is probably the best option, but I don't care, because for me, the most important thing is that we discuss options. And I think that what we have to do is we have to annex Judea and Samaria and give everybody their residency. Two and a half million people get residency. How many people in America have residency? How many people in America have residency? Residents, green card, resident benefit residents. How much? Seven what? Seven people? No, more than seven people. What? Thirty-five million. That's right. About ten percent of America is residents. I was a resident for many years here in America. So we give them a residency. What is residency, by the way? Is that a, is that is that nothing? It means you have a bill of rights. You're protected. You have you have legal sta standing. But you don't have the right to vote. Huh? You pay taxes. You better you pay, you bet you pay taxes. Oh yeah. You're getting the benefits of the state. You better pay taxes or else you're going to jail. Okay? So 35 million people in America, we give two and a half million people residency immediately. And then for those people who prove that they love Israel, that they really want to be useful civic members of the of the Jewish state. Then there's a pathway to citizenship. There's a pathway to citizenship if you swear allegiance and you prove that you want to be a decent member of the Jewish state. Now, here, my friends, is a big shocker to Americans. 
Israel is never going to be an American-style democracy, and it never should be, because it is actually a Jewish state created by Jews for Jews to protect Jewish interests and to stop the next Holocaust and to defend our peoplehood. Now, we have a conflict which is Jewish and democratic. Jewish and democratic conflict at times. So I say there's a very simple formula, and it's this. Do you see this? What is this? What? This is a yield sign. Yield. Yield. And yield means that when there's a conflict between Jewish and democratic, democratic yields to Jewish. We have a Jewish and democratic, but it's not equal. The first principle is a Jewish state for Jews. It's an ethnic state first for our people. And that's okay. It's a tiny sliver of land, and all the other countries are ethnic states themselves. We have a tiny country that we love democracy, but we don't worship it. Whenever it comes to conflict with, 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 uh, and, uh, with, with the Jewish aspect, it yields. It yields. The people that live amongst us, the Torah, by the way, says like this. It says, kick out the nations who want to fight with you. Fight them. Push them out. Blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And then it says, but the sojourner who wants to live in your land, welcome him in. Give him rights. Re give him respect. And the Torah says, there will be sojourners in your land. Yes, there'll be foreigners living in your land, but they have to accept your sovereignty. It's really quite simple. It's called being non-seditious. If you're seditious in this country, they put you in jail or kick you out. It's very simple, really. And so you're a minority living in, the, in Israel. We will accept you. But you have to not be seditious. And jihad is seditious. Jihad, oh, okay. Well, we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that in a second. Anyway, those are my five alternatives to you. Which one is the right alternative? I really don't know. But I know one thing for sure is that two-state is over. It's not going to work. The people who are saying it are selling you luxury. It's not really the roadmap to peace. It's, it was a bad idea in the first place. And all of these silly people who are, have their PhDs or their fat seat and some reason, some Martin Indyk or I don't know what, who think that they like are God's gift to the Middle East, they're not. Okay? And they're only pushing it forward because they've made careers on this stuff. They're not actually helping the people on the street. I have three more minutes and then I'm going to take questions. Here's, here's, here's four more minutes. Six. Here's, here's, uh, here's what you have to know. Here's what you have to know. Just a few more points and then I'm going to go to you. Here's what you have to know. The stuff that I just spoke about is not just what I want or what the right wing wants. It's actually stuff that Arabs talk to me about all the time. We have serious meetings in Hebron. You know the radical mean settlers that drink Palestinian blood in the morning like a V8, you know? Uh, we have conversations with Arabs all the time that say to us, please get rid of the Palestinian Authority. We don't want our kids to go to jihad. We want the decent life that, that Israel affords us. And that's the lowest level. On the higher levels, they say, we, we actually believe, I have a guy, you, I, I, I can't show you pictures because I'm not allowed to take pictures of him because... Because, because, uh, because if I did, he'd be, he'd be hanging from a pole in Ramallah, okay? And he is from Ramallah, and he's got a beard down to here. He comes in with full, full Islamic regalia. He's a head taller than me like this. Beautiful guy, strong guy. He's, a, he's, he's, he's an Islamist. He's not a, he's not a, he's not a secular Arab who says, eh, with, with, with Islam, which I know plenty of those as well. He doesn't say that. He is an Islamic person. He will quote you the Quran all the time. And he says... Allah has given this land to the Jews. Allah has given this land to the Jews. It's in the Quran. He shows me the verses. He quotes me the verses. And he says that's why also Israel has been successful in war against the Arabs. 
because Allah is with the Jews. Okay? That's, that is a narrative. That is an alternative narrative. That's a, how big is it? It's small. If he got it too, too big, they'd hang him on a, on, a, on a pole. Okay? Is the Middle East exactly in this kind of way of thinking right now? Are all the Arabs sitting around being like, you know, we got a problem in our civilization. We should really think about alternative views. That's not what's happening. I don't want to sell you that that's what's going on. It's a jihadist Middle East right now, more jihadist than yesterday. And, but yes, there are alternative voices. I just wanted to tell you that my, my visions for what we discussed, alternatives to the two-state, are not just Jewish and right-wing alternatives. They're actually, they're act, and, and the interesting thing is that the Islam, those kind of Islamists or Arabs that want alternatives, they meet with the settlers. They say the guys in Tel Aviv are they're not the latte drinking uh, post Zionists who want to give away everything because they don't understand the value of land or or history or you know how you know Shimon Peres says you know history you guys you have too much history in your head you know we need tomorrow forget yesterday nobody wants to talk to people like that because they know it's not serious they're not they want to talk to people like them and we're people like them and by the way we it's a well known secret in the Middle East it's the Israeli left who actually hates Arabs and the Israeli right which actually is more like the Arabs and has a better te relationship with the Arabs. And the willingness to fight with the Arabs, by the way, is actually a sign of respect. I'm willing to fight for my land, but that means I'm actually speaking your language and we respect each other. <clears throat> Whatever, that's an aside. Um, the bottom line is I've given you alternatives that can work. Which one really works? I don't know, but we have to open up the discussion. The Hillary Clintons of this world and all the other people that are going to try to push on us to state they are, they're not with it. They're fuddy-duddies. They're, they're careerists. They, they, they have failed. And the average Israeli is not going in that direction. I am hopeful. I am very hopeful, ladies and gentlemen. We are living in a great time in Jewish history. The Jewish people are back home after 2,000 years. Our economy is doing well. Jewish culture is doing well. Israel is doing well. On the whole, and you could feel it. Our prime minister has initiated many infrastructural programs. The road between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem is being widened out right now. There's going to be a, uh, a, a, a fast rail. What's it called? A, a, no, not a light rail. A, 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 bullet, a bullet train. It's going to bring Yerushalayim. Right now, for me to travel to Yerushalayim to Tel Aviv is about an hour and a half, really. Because it's, really, it's an hour and a half. They say it's going to be 26 minutes. You'd cave off K minutes, okay? Uh, I don't know if I did. I thank Rabbi Elush, by the way, for the. Okay, thank you very much for Beit Tefillah and this great venue. Um, it's going to bring our country together like this. There's a lot of hope. Israel's, but it's a hopeful country surrounded by a, by an Arab. By the way, President Obama, many Israelis understand that he was not, and many Israelis think that he was not pro-Israel. I, and maybe set out to weaken Israel, but what he did was, in the end, for sure, is he weakened the Arab states. Mm -hmm. The Arab states are in total tumult and disarray. Total tumult and disarray. And so, you'll be first, okay? And so, and so uh, to questions. And so, so Israel is, is in a very positive state of mind, on the whole. But, there is no clarity about the future of the settlement issue and about the issue of land for peace, two states, or alternatives to it. My friends, I don't know if you've been watching videos recently, but all the attacks on Israel recently are about this specific issue. They're always hitting that. Israel's occupying. Israel's an occupier. Israel's uh, oppressing the Palestinians. That whole issue is constantly 
in the videos and in every single meme against us. We're not answering. And so this conversation that we're having is maybe one of the most important right now. We have to get past this. We have to get through this. We have to actually take it to the next level. And I want to quote, my final word is like this. I want to quote a rabbi in Israel named Rabbi Yaakov Reis, who I heard some, some, say something that I thought was very provocative and very true. He said, we have two characters in the Bible. One is Yaakov. Yaakov, remember, he works a little bit through duplicity to make it, right? He, his brother's hungry. Look at this. I got some food for you, but you got to give me your birthright. You know? And then I got the birthright. Now I got to go get the blessing from the dad. Sure, I'll put on these skins. I'll act like my brother. There's duplicity in the way he makes it. And his name is Yaakov. He's always at the heel. He's nipping at the heel. That's what it means. But then at some point he has to graduate to Yisrael, which is Yashar El, straight to God, a straight messenger, a Sar El, a straight ambassador of God, a truth speaker. And that's, we have been a little bit about this issue, and this is my critique of my beloved country, our beloved country, which is it's been a little bit, speaks out of two sides of his mouth, a little bit dancing around, tap dancing. We've got to start speaking straight. We've got to start speaking straight with clarity, and that will give us good PR, because it'll start making sense. You cannot describe a policy that doesn't make sense. So Bezrat Hashem, we will be strong, and we will get through this moment and uh, look for a better, a stronger Israel. And of course, that Israel is also going to be, with the help of God, a light unto the nations for a better Middle East and a better world. Yofi. Okay, friends. We are now, uh, we have left a lot of time uh, 27 minutes uh, for your questions. And, uh, and uh, uh, please feel free to, 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 I know there's a lot of challenging issues, so let's, let's hit them. Please, uh, no monologues, let's, like, let's keep it like tight question and, and go. Young lady, yes. Thank you for coming here and you know, all that, um, and for being who you are in the world right now, which is amazing. So with everything you said, which was beautifully spoken, how can the world still be, you know, I'm not that old, but when I was in college, white people didn't understand the Middle East. It was kind of like a secret. And those same people now can see a lot of the characteristics or you know, that are starting to sweep, come out of the Middle East. Why are we still explaining ourselves when there should be so much evidence? Why, what are we doing wrong that we're still explaining, Israel is still explaining itself, when there's so many other big problems with the Middle East? And it's the, the question of why people are obsessed with Israel is a good question. It's a little bit hard to understand. I ask, I ask European journalists all the time, why are you so obsessed with this? Don't you have your own problems? By the way, here in this country, how many people have been killed in Chicago since January 2016? No, 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 about 160. About 160 since beginning of January 2016. In the, in the recent wave of terror in Israel, Jews and Arabs together are not 160 dead. So you sometimes wonder, Obama, aren't you from Chicago? Don't you have your boy Rahm Emanuel there? And you're going to be telling me about how to fix my problems in the Middle East? You can't even handle a little inner city problem. So I sometimes wonder, what is the obsession about? But with regarding to Israeli Hasbara, Israeli Hasbara, uh, Hasbara, uh, even that word, um, I have tried to explain throughout the talk, but basically... A, Israel doesn't understand that the most important thing is clarity right now and a simple message. 
a simple message that we can all get on board. It's very hard for us to all get on board because Jews do not usually get on board on one message. That's a real, that's a real tactical question. As a PR person, I think to myself, I have a problem because when the camera turns on somebody else, she, he or she will say something else that we don't have message discipline. You turn it on any person affiliated with the jihad and they're right on message. Uh, occupation, I can't see my daughter, she doesn't go to school, and my farm, I've never been a farmer, but my farmland has been taken away. You know, it's like immediately they like, boom, they spit it out. We don't do that. I'll tell you another thing. We used to rely on the Bible as being a great PR tool because we were like, listen, everybody knows the Bible. And maybe 100 years ago, everybody knew the Bible. Today, nobody knows the Bible. You'd say, it's, it's in the hotel room, but that's about it, you know? They don't know the Bible, so there's no, we have no PR strength there. And also... Israelis and Jews have a bad tendency. Interestingly enough, we have a bad tendency. Here's what I hear from a lot of Jews. Anti-Semites, they'll never be with us. To hell with them. I'll ne- I don't, you don't even have to deal with them. Those that are with us are with us, and the haters are against us forever. And zel. Forget it. That's a very bad attitude, and I'll tell you why. Because you could see that the anti-Israel crowd is going after every individual person and trying to turn minds all the time. They are in a Goebbels place right now. They are really turning society against us, and I think very successfully. And while Israel has been ahead of its game always in war, physical war, with better jets, cutting-edge technology, always cutting-edge, cutting-edge, we're about, and I don't uh, overestimate this by saying that we're about 30 years behind on the narrative war. That's a lot in war. We're very behind. We've basically lost an American generation, more or less, We've certainly completely lost the Palestinian generation who are, who are mentally probably lost. I'm not a child psychologist, but uh, I don't know if they could bring back the, the seething hate that has been taught for the last many years. And so we've been um, very derelict in this duty. Uh, as Just as a PR person, I can tell you that I go to Jews, and I'm going to hint, hint to you here, that I go to Jews and I say, hey, we need money for PR. I need money to explain Hebron better. I need money to make good movies. Okay? I'm not talking to that. I'm talking like $30,000 for four videos, you know, to make serious videos. And I know how to do it, but Jews, don't, Jews have what my rabbi used to call an edifice complex, where they want a building, you know? <laughs> but they don't want to do PR a lot of times, because you don't, I don't know, you don't have the Nathan Lopez, uh, you, know, uh, you know, video. It doesn't work that way. So, so... So we don't, we, don't understand P, we don't understand the importance of PR. I can tell you from a person who's trying to raise money in this issue for a long time, but that is where the, where the game is today. Yes. Yes. So what gives the Netanyahu government or even the new uh, foreign minister doing about trying to have this discussion? Well, I don't know what the new, foreign, uh, the new defense minister you mean. Uh, I don't know what the defense minister is doing, and uh, I'm sure he'll be making trouble in no time. Uh, but uh, the prime minister of Israel is doing something else. His tactic is this. I don't know how to solve this intractable problem, but I'm going to make Israel strong in other ways that I know how to do. And Netanyahu's thing is, and this is, this is completely my, my, my understanding of this man, he's good at, uh, he's a good politician, he knows how to play off, make everybody hate him equally, uh, and, and, and cause people to, to kind of fight against one another. But he's good at building the country infrastructure. And, and I think he's doing that. I see it in the south. I see it in the center. I see it in the north. I think he wants to make Israel more strong economically. Whenever you speak to him, by the way, and I was at his house with a group of, a small group of people talking to him right before the elections, 
He could, he could talk about everything. And, but when he talks about economics, he gets passionate. You see it in him. He's good at it. He's like, he's really Israel's foreign minister. And a shtickle, uh, uh, Israel, uh, did I say foreign? I meant to say he's Israel's economic minister, finance minister, and a shtickle foreign minister. That's his real strength. Uh, but uh, tackling this is not, uh, he's a staller on this issue. He's a staller. Work it out. Let the Arabs implode. I can't deal with them right now. Let the settlers, we'll keep everybody in a low flame. We'll give everybody what they want a little bit. And that'll be the next prime minister's problem. Uh, yes. Quick question. Go. Now, Fire. In his plan, he talked about annexing uh, Area C. Yes. In his plan, what happens with Area C? He's, that, that's a, he's saying, he's saying, look, Maybe there's an autonomy there. We're going to deal with it the way it is, but we're not going to create it. We're going to take the next rational step. It's just an interesting approach. He says, it's an interesting thing. Sometimes in life, and this is something I come up with myself, sometimes you have 10 questions in your head. And sometimes you're like, well, I don't know how to answer some questions. But I know how to answer these three questions, and these are the questions that I can do something about, so that's what I'm going to do something about. I'm going to take steps. I'm not going to solve the whole kitty kaboom. I'm going to take the next logical step that I know. Life is like driving through a fog. You only see a few meters ahead. So take the, the turn that you can take. That's, 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 that's how he thinks about it. Yes? No comments. Question. Fire. Fire away. Let's go. No, in Gaza we no Gaza we we pulled out of an area. This is no withdrawal. Israel has already kind of withdrawn from A and B, and so the fact that they can kind of take C and they're debating that it means they're still leaving A and B to the Palestinian Authority and whatever that means. Right. I just answered that question. Right. My point is that if you're just going to kind of let it evolve and kind of fester the way that they now but believe me, I I agree with. So you do, so you don't like the the Bennett plan? Fine. No, I don't like the Bennett plan. <laughs> Right. The only difference between me and Glick is that Glick says, give them all citizenship immediately. No, 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 I'm not agreeing that's not like that. The question I have for you is... Callan Glick, great, great author. and that the IDF, Brass, and Mossad need to contradict and go against everything that Benyamin says in public, and we know that a lot of the IDF, Brass, is on the left, and obviously the political movement in Israel is on the right, and so what you're saying is like split, you know, they're well the generals the generals the generals get get it's like the Supreme Court is there's a certain self-election system in the generals and some of the statements that have come out of the Israeli army I, I, I'm, I'm so shocked and embarrassed by it recently it's, it's just been it's been a horrible thing um, maybe it's also related to the very incorrect narrative, and, and maybe this is a time to just mention this. I am completely against the moral army narrative. That Israel has a moral army, I detest it. And I find it to be, I, I, I can't say it any stronger than that. It's, it's detestable. The army is the bad, mean dog that you have on the side next to you, that you, that you release if somebody comes at you. It's not, here's, here's my bodyguard, but don't worry about him, he's, he's nice. No, no, my bodyguard is not nice. And let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. Everybody likes stories, right? Right? 
Listen up, everybody. Okay, come on. Here's the story. I, was on Al, I, was, I got a call from Al Jazeera. It said Qatar. It was 2014. It was during the war, during the Gaza war. So Qatar called me. Hello, Mr. Fleischer. Would you like to join us? They're so nice. And I say, absolutely, I'd love to join you. However, I always make a deal with them. I say, not on a panel. I've been through that little story before. Never on a panel. Because then they stack anti-Semite, anti-Semite, anti-Semite. Yishai, what do you say? Up, cut you off. Anti-Semite, anti-Semite, anti-Semite. I don't do that. I say to them, you want me? I'm willing to come on Al Jazeera, but one-on-one. Which means two-on-one, because the moderator is against me also. So that's, but I'll take one-on-one. Anyway, so they call me right during the war. So I spoke to a very good friend who you probably know who he is, but I'm not going to say his name, a, 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 a very a prominent Israeli political writer. I said to him, dude, what do you think I should say? He said to me, they're going to ask you about why only 70 Israelis are dead and 2,000 Arabs are dead. Why is that? I said, yeah. He said, and tell them that we have a moral army. Tell them that we try so hard. I said to him, if I say that we have a moral army, think television for a second. What are they going to I'm going to say, you know, Israel tries so hard. We send these missiles that knock on the roof, and we make an SMS. Can you please get out? We're about to send a missile. And I say all this moral army stuff. What are they going to show? Baby parts. Dead baby. And what do I sound like when I say we have a moral army and they have show dead baby? A big, fat Jew liar. That's what I sound like. I said, I'm not going to do that. And, of course, that's what they expected me to do. And here comes the question. But, Mr. Fleischer... How do you explain 2,000 uh, Palestinians dead and only 70 Israelis? I said, that's exactly what's going to happen when you start with us. <coughs> that's what happens when you start with us. When you shoot your missiles at us, we will shoot you back tenfold. Don't mess with us. We're a post-Holocaust people. We have zero tolerance for Jewish injury. You start with us, we're going to finish it. And if you put your children in front of our rockets... Okay. If you put your children in front of our rockets, they're going to die lamentably. They were like, uh, uh, we never heard that. And on the other hand, they were also like, ah, our Jewish brother is back. Instead of this, we're better than you, moral army, we're nice. We're not nice. We are not nice to bad guys. We, 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 we destroy jihadists. I'm sorry, I, I, I got a rifle in 1979. I got a Gabriel, and I said I'm a free man today. We didn't have an army for 2,000 years. Right, okay, very good. We didn't have an army for 2,000 years. And I know you have a lot of credentials, but I have to tell you, you're standing in front of the ark. And there are laws about the army in the Torah. That's right. And as a Jewish person, Born when I was born, that's what I stand on today. The morality of Haganah, and that's what I stand on okay. in America today. I think you should really think about your words again. I will because uh, because because I'm sorry, we didn't have an army. You got it. You got it. You missed. No, very, sir, sir, that is a very fair comment. Okay. 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 Okay, okay, I appreciate that. And I think that's a very fair comment. I really do think that's a very... And I, Answer it, please. You're standing in front of the yard. I was in the yard before. I know. I got it, I got it. 
I got it. I got it. Tell me I got it. Why we're not a moral, why it's not important. I got it. And, and, and you don't have to tell me that I stand in front of the ark because I know I'm standing in front of the ark and I'm a rabbi, thank God, and I know exactly where I am. Do anything and I rabbi. have, no. That is nothing. I don't yell at you. You don't have to yell at me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. One second, let me answer this. One second, let me answer this gentleman. No, no, I will absolutely answer him. I think he says something from an emotional place and a good place. No, I mean to say you're coming in an emotional way, and I think that's absolutely... Sir, you made your point, and I appreciate it, and that's why I want to answer it. I think it's a very fair question you ask. And, and I specifically tailored my, my comments in order to deal with those kind of words that you're saying, which I think are very reasonable and understandable. I want to tell you what I think about that. We have a moral army. And we, one second, and we certainly don't have an immoral army. That's obvious. See, to me, I take that as a given. I take that as a given that we're not going to be rapists. I take that as a given that we're not going to be mass murderers. I take that as a given that we're not going to kill children. I, don't, I never even doubted that. That's what I mean. I don't have to sell that. I never had to sell that. Purity of arms is a natural thing that we Jews feel. I have been in many combat situations and other situations. We are naturally a moral army. And we also get trained to be a moral army, but we don't need to sell it. Say One it. second. Shh, I'm saying it. Relax, relax. We, it's okay. Shh, we have to have a conversation, even with people of, of all stripes. We're, we're here to converse. And so I'm telling you that I... I, I, if I need to clarify, then I'm happy that you made the point to let me clarify. We have a moral army, but never promote it that way. Don't sell it that way. Don't say to people, I'm going to be gentle with you. I'm going to... No, 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 no. The most moral thing about our army is that it defends us from the immoral Nazis of today. That's morality. The morality is to have a Jewish state that's safe. And I think, I think, by the way, that we probably agree on 99%. I think I so. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Strong, and we should say that to the world. Okay. No, I don't think we should say that to the world. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Thank you. Okay. No, it's a very fair comment. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. We talk about that all the time, but it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make a sense because, it, because you, see, see, you're going back to blame the bad guy's narrative, which is okay, I understand you, but, but understand something that it's actually not a good narrative, and I'll tell you why. Because what you're saying is, we gave you your land, but you started war. But you're basically saying, you're admitting within the Oslo process that it wasn't our land, that it's their land. And therefore, even if you're saying that you, the bad guy, started the war, they're, they're basically saying we're freedom fighters, and you're basically agreeing to that. And so therefore, two-state solutionism from the get-go makes you into an occupier. From the get-go, you've lost the war and you've lost the narrative war because you've already admitted that you stole somebody else's land. So you don't win with that. And blaming him as being the, you know, the Arab, he'll just say, hey, I'm just trying to fight for my land. Okay. And that never wins. Second question, quick, go. A good friend. Yes. Yes. Well, I mentioned that today, and, and there's a truth to that.
But at the same time, don't deny the, I, and I'd love to think that that's even more true, and I have mentioned that here, but, the, but, but don't deny also the fact that there's also a jihadism in the Palestinian Authority that, and, in, and, and in today Palestinian society, which is also rampant. And I would love to think, and I do think that in part they don't want the PA, but I don't think that we've given them enough certitude that the only way to move forward to live in Israel, today even Israeli Arabs are voting for jihadist and anti-Israel Knesset members. And that's a problem. And we should not, for, by the way, just an example of narrative, I don't think, it's the same thing as the moral army question. I don't think that we should be so democratic as to give neo-Nazi voices uh, a voice in our Knesset. I think that there's certain Knesset members today that are seditious. We know they were, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ahmed Tibi was Yasser Arafat's helper. He's a, he's a virulent anti-Israel person, wants to destroy Israel, is seditious, no, 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 no question in my mind, and he should be in jail. And I think that would be much clearer. I don't think that morality or democracy, which is a similar concept, needs to be... Huh? What? Uh-huh. Tov. I don't know who that is today. You'll tell me. Okay. Uh, no, I'd like a lady question. Yeah, go ahead. We'll get to you. Quick, let's go. My question is, uh, two and a half million Palestinians. Yes. And we, if by your suggestion, we absorb them essentially by annexing Judea and Samaria. Residency. Residency. We let them live happily ever after, and they live. Many Arabs will be thankful because they'll live in a decent life. And those and those who are those who want Palestinian self determination will have to find other alternatives, other arrangements. Okay, but if they continue to demographically, you said we weren't going to be talking. Oh, here we go. Demographics. Great. Here's the good news. The demographics. Okay, so, so, so the latest is actually different than that. that. That is part of what I call the Jewish playbook of fears. There are, there are Jewish playbooks of fears. We'll be isolated. The UN will vote against us. America will stop loving us. And we'll be demographically overrun and World War III will start. Shh, all these are actual, I think they're, we call this demographobia. The truth of the matter is, is that uh, uh, Palestinian demographic numbers are going sharply down because of the greatest, uh, they are now all taking the greatest known contraception to mankind, which is women's education. And women are getting educated in, in that society, and they're, the, 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 it's just dropping. On the other hand, Israeli uh, reproduction rates are growing continuously. When I was born, there were three million Jews in Israel. Today, there are six million Jews. Uh, we are on the way up. And, and we will continue to have our way up. But on top of that, don't forget that I said residency and not citizenship. Some of it was Russian Aliyah, over a million people. Baruch Hashem. So don't have necessarily have a million people right now. You're probably right. You're probably right about that. But our, but our birth rate is strong. I, I drove through Bnei Brak the other day. It was like a land of lily puts. Okay? It was like, I couldn't... They don't serve. Huh? They don't serve. They're going to start to serve, Bezrat Hashem. And even if they don't serve, even if they... Listen, I'll tell you, I have a theory for that also. I actually have a theory for that. I don't, I don't want to get into this right now, but, but just very quickly, I'll tell you, I don't like the way our army system is. This is for you. I wanted you to ask a question, but you weren't asking, so you're asking questions. So I'm going to answer. Okay. I know the answers. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the most Jewish thing I heard all night. Uh, uh, 
that's the ark, okay? Anyway, uh, uh, I'll tell you the truth. I'll, I see you. Uh, just, just very quickly on the Haredi issue, uh, uh, which is related to a broader issue of, of how to serve in the Israeli army uh, and, and, ser- and being part of society. I actually think that we have a very, uh, I don't like the system that we have in Israel today about how people serve. I believe in 100% service in all society. That's right. Including Arabs, including every, I don't care who you are. If you're a resident or a citizen, you have to serve two years. Shirut Lumi, much wider, much wider. Meaning to say, if you're a Haredi and you don't want to be in the state, uh, you don't want to be in the army? Zaka, Madda, Fire Brigade, Masha You want to be, um, uh, you're, you're an Arab? Go, go to the army. We'll, we'll make, we'll, we'll, like the Bedouin units or the Druze units, we'll make an Arab unit. I have no problem with that. Uh, but, but if you can't do that, we'll find, I don't know what, teach Arabic to Israelis. I don't know what, you know what I mean? We'll find a thing. You're a Tel Aviv pacifist, work in the zoo. I don't care. But there, there is no such a thing. There is no kaban, no nothing. All you, you have to come out with a card that says, I served two years. Everybody. And that way, there's no BS. There's no, you got a deal from Ben-Gurion like this, and you're a yeshiva guy that goes to this kind of system. No, 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 no. We standardize it. You want more? Bevakasha, you can have more. Not less. Two years. Let's clarify it. By the way, this is the system they have in Switzerland, more or less. It's fine. Okay, four months, but... Uh, what? I wasn't talking about politics. I was talking about an idea. An idea. I don't, I don't have a specific... Uh, okay, realistic things can change. I'll tell you, I hate the fact that everybody has a different deal. I hate the fact that Arabs can be citizens and be super citizens. They can be citizens of the state of Israel, but not uh, serve in, my ar- in the army. What kind of thing is this? They're, they're in better shape than me. They're going to get to college before my Israeli brother and, and get the... No, I don't think so. I think it's a Jewish state. It needs to help Jews first and foremost. Everybody else is a, is a welcome guest. <gasps> it's a welcome guest in our country. Okay. And, and, and they have to serve. And Haredim have to serve. Everybody's got to serve. You can, there's no deals. There's no deals. There's no way out. This is our country. This is the rules. You, 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 have, a, you have this kind of hat or this kind of hat. or this. I don't care what kind of hat you got. Okay? You're, 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 it's going to be one system for all. And then there will be clarity. There will be peace through that. It's because everybody's got a different deal and they're always, you know, jewing their way to a deal that is uh, not the way to do it. You had a question? Go. Did you have a question? Oh, you're out. Yeah, yes, sir. I'm not arguing with you. Did you have a question? Yeah, I'm not arguing. No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. The people, the people, did you ask a question already? No, go ahead, go ahead. I'm not arguing with you. I'm oh, okay. Okay, perfect. Last week, I was Second told Jewish that thing, yeah. my, grand, my 11-year-old grandson has children who are 11 years old, the same thing in Israel will be going on that's going on now. Uh, sorry? The same conflicts that are going on with Israel and its neighbors yeah. will be going on when my 11-year-old grandson has 11-year-old grandchildren of his own. What do you think? Is that where we? Is that our future? I'm going to answer that question. I like that question. I like that question. I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you my answer to that. If the question was, are the same conflicts that are there today going to be exactly in our grandchildren? I'm going to give you two, but I think I'm probably going to come up with a third answer. But the first answer is, if yes, if we have to keep on having war, so be it. We'll make war. We know how to exist in war. 
And nobody's going to tell us, and this is one of the narratives that is a sick narrative, peace, peace, peace. Peace is a byproduct of, of deterrence. And if we can achieve peace through being strong, good. If not, and we have to keep fighting, fine. We're good at that too. We're good fighters. We even export war. We know how to teach war. We know how to teach defense. We are good at what we do. And that's the signal we have to send to the Arab world. We are not suckers. We don't worship peace. We love peace. But we're able to exist in a state of war. So number one is if your grandson, if your grandson has the merit to be in the Jewish army of the reborn Jewish state and he has to keep fighting and sacrificing, that is fine. Because I want you to know that in all the conflicts of Israel, all the deaths of all the conflicts were beaten by one day in Auschwitz's full fury. Oh, and, and there was more deaths in one super day in Auschwitz at the, at the height than maybe two days in all of the, the wars in Israel. So we're living in a great time from that perspective, and if we have to keep fighting, we keep fighting. On the other hand, I want to say to you, why, why you know, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, think good and it'll be good. Why, why think bad? The, the truth of the matter is, is that history is changing tremendously all the time. Israel today is nothing like the Israel of 20 years ago, Israel, and certainly nothing like the Israel of 600,000 people who were eating one egg a week in 1948. So, so why, why think negative? Things are going amazingly. Things are moving in an amazing trajectory. Now, did you expect Israel in 1948 to be the innovation nation? No, it was... It was using no, I'm saying... It's, that's, that's, a, that's a Hasbara argument. He asked me, are things going to be tomorrow like they were yesterday? I said, Lama, why, why think so? I think, I think things... Yes, I think, in fact, things could get much better. And the Arab world is changing right now for the worst, but who knows, they're weakening also. I'm very positive. And, and statistics show, shh, statistics show that Israelis are positive about the future. So I, I'm positive. Huh? And one of the happiest countries in the world. That's what statistics show. And so if your grandson has a chance to live in a Jewish state in a beautiful new Jerusalem, you know, when I walk around Israel, I see two things. Cranes and pregnant women. That's what I see. So, huh? All right. Yes. Yes, I did. Let me just comment on that very quickly. It's very what? It's very what? Yes. I find it decidedly inconvenient. Yeah. And it works. Great. The first question, just two questions. Masked is one question, but they were two questions. The first one with regarding to Gaza is that, you're right, I didn't include Gaza. I don't know what you mean by convenient. I don't find it convenient at all. It just happens to be that we have lost a certain so a sovereignty. I don't see it being regained unless there's a humongous, you know, like war, revolution, overthrow, this whole thing. I would love to see the Sinai back. My mother uh, gave a great idea to me, and she said, why don't we buy it back from Sissy? Give him, a, give him a few billion. He could use it. And we'll take care of the problems in Sinai. We'll come back. Huh? And you know what? We'll have it in better control because everybody knows. And you know, I, I'm not even, I don't even have the intelligence in my hand, but I knew this. And then I heard this afterwards. Today, Hamas is working with 
North Africa under the Obama uh, regime doctrine, is, it's destroyed. It's now jihad land. It used to have nice dictators, okay? You know? now, now, now the whole thing, the whole North Africa is one big channel to Hamas. Okay? It's one thing. And so, and so having control of the Sinai will give us a wonderful barrier uh, to, uh, to, to, to control Gaza and to choke off this North Sinai pro- uh, North Africa problem. That's number one. With regarding to your second question, I disagree with you on the facts. I disagree with you on the facts. And this is an important question. I'll answer it quickly. Israeli Arabs living in East Jerusalem live an amazing life. I see them day in, day out. They have the best life, and most of the Arab world is jealous of them. You're right, they don't have the vote. They could have the vote. You know that they only have to apply for the vote they, and apply for citizenship. They don't because of jihadism. The problem is not the system. The problem is that we don't crack down on jihad that's being taught in Jabal Mukaber, in Isawiya, in, 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 in Ras al Amud, in, in Silwan, where I live in these places. We allow jihad to fester in these places. Isawiya is one of the worst jihad places. It's, it's people, you remember those movies about people walking in, in Paris? And, uh, and getting, like, sped on by Muslims and stuff like that, you come walk in Isawiya with a kippah on your head, which is 10 minutes from the Kotel. Forget about it. You're not going to get spit on. That'll be a chesed if you get spit on. Anyway, the real point is, is that in my systems to work, and in all systems for Israel to survive, we have to crack down on jihad in, in all cases. It doesn't matter how. We, have to, we, we simply cannot allow the jihad to fester. And it festers on our Temple Mount. It festers on our Temple Mount. Look at our Prime Minister. Remember I talked to you about ambivalence? I'll finish up, Shmuel. I'm finishing up. Um, our Prime Minister recently, the UN said, the United Nations said, um, yeah, Israel has no historical claim to the Temple Mount. UNESCO. UNESCO. What did I say? UNESCO. 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 United Nations... Uh, education, science, and cultural organization. It said that. And, and, and Netanyahu, our prime minister, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu gets up and he, he's so upset. He says, can you come down here and I'll give you a lesson about, about our connection to the Temple Mount. And you know what? I bet you he could have given them a stellar lesson. There's nobody like him with that. At the same time, he didn't give Jews, he doesn't protect Jews' rights up there. So he's willing to give them a big spiel, but he's not willing to actually crack down on the jihad and on giving us rights on the Temple Mount. My friends, Palestinianism is not a movement for self-determination or for social justice. It's a jihadist movement that tries to undermine the sovereignty and the safety of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And, and we've got to say it clearly. And I have no problem with Palestinians living in Israel and getting rights as long as they're not seditious. Uh, and, and the prime minister cannot tap dance and say, I'm willing to give UNESCO a lesson but not help Jews have rights. We've got to reassert things. In the middle of our capital is a, is a jihadist, a strong jihadist enclave. We can't allow that. With that, my friends, I want you to know we are positive. We are, we're done. We are very hopeful. I'm very hopeful. I love our country. I get up every day uh, and, and, I, and I love Israel. And I want to tell you the difference between living in America and living in Israel. You wake up in the morning here in America, you heard like Ahmadinejad. Do you miss him? I miss the guy, right? Uh, you know, he just said it clearly. You get, you had an Ahmadinejad, and he gets up. Oh, I want to destroy the Jewish people, and you're living in America. You're like, I give up. What's going to happen to Israel? You, you get up in the morning in Israel. You hear Ahmadinejad. He says, I want to destroy the Jewish people, and then your wife says to you, Don't forget to buy milk and diapers. <laughs> and so you're like, ah, Ahmadinejad. Ah, ah, okay, you know, 
and you see Jewish traffic outside, and you're, you know, and, and, and you're in an elevator with, with squished with Jews, and you say, look, at least it's not Auschwitz. And you say to yourself, Baruch Hashem. And so, so Am Yisrael is chai, and we're moving forward. And it's, it's very important, last thing, it's very important that we keep having this dialogue. My friends, the biggest divide in the Jewish world is not Ashkenazi, Sfaradi, and it's not Haredi, Chiloni, and it's not, I don't know, liberal and, and, and conservative. The biggest divide in the Jewish world today is the split between American Jewry and Israeli Jewry. We live 5,000 kilometers apart. With you guys, it's more kilometers. And, and we have a big ocean between us, and we're living two different cultural lives. We've got to keep holding hands. You've got to keep coming to Eretz Yisrael. People like me got to keep coming out to you and having these discussions. Friday nights, I want you to not buy California Sinfandels for Friday night. Only wine from Eretz Yisrael, you know? And not, and not because you're supporting the Israeli economy, but because you want to drink from the waters of Eretz Yisrael. You want to have it in your cells. And, and you got to still keep, you got to keep coming here. You got to teach your kids to love and be passionate about Israel. Do not teach them fuddy-duddy messages. Teach, teach them like this, in fire, to be excited about the story. Um, and one step at a time, I think that we're on the road to great things. So thank you very much. <laughs>